Okay, wonderful. Um, for those of you who I don't know, um, my name is Jim, and uh, me and my wife Rachel, who's the one with the baby, I don't remember over there, uh, are normally the senior pastors, although as Kate uh, just said, Rachel's sitting with Rachel, so Jesse, where he's like, doing an excellent impression of Rachel around the office. Um, it's not that convincing, but the work's very good. Um, and, uh, this is probably the start of planning, actually. Um, hey, join the staff team, it's great. Um, one, okay, here's one serious thing before I dive into the content of this morning's talk. Alan, um, you did a fantastic job, friends, as our family pastor, and uh, we're just so grateful for all the work we've done to set us up really well. So, this uh, Piggy Kids and New Pastor position of Rabbitize now is building on a fantastic foundation, so just a bit of credit on it. Um, yeah, we, we would love some uh, good stuff to join us that team. Why don't we um, read the Bible today? This morning, we are picking up again in our series of Sunday sermons, travelling through the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, in fact. And um, for anyone, yes, we've got a little recording thing going on over there, but yeah, yeah, I thought I thought it for the website, in case anyone wanted to listen to this. <laughs> this morning, we're picking up again our.
Then she wiped the blood in her hair, kissed them, and poured the blood When the Pharisee was invited to saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know his touch of him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me to Jesus. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both Now, which of them put him on the money? Senator replied, I suppose the one I have to do that for the women. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to him, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them on her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, for the, for the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, and her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven, which makes a lot of Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Oh, how could they do this? The little ones, maybe, but come on, 
I'm convinced that's how Jesus felt towards the Pharisees again. They're not the baddies, they're the calming guys. You should have had the best opportunity to recognize God when you came into the world. You should be leading the celebrating. Telling others God is here. You're opposing him instead. What? Which is why I think they are the most disappointing and frustrating people to Jesus that he comes across. I'm not angry, I'm disappointed. You've let your people down, you've let your God down, but most importantly, you've let us actually never let God down the world. So in our story today, one Pharisee in verse 36 invites Jesus to dinner. And while Jesus is there, there's a woman. Do you mind if we track through? Thank you, Pam. Um, there's a woman who, in verse 37, finds out that Jesus was nearby. Jesus is close. And so she invites herself into the house. She barges in, and the Pharisee says to you, a famous teacher. And she makes a disruptive, humiliating spectacle that hijacks the conversation. And Luke, who chose his words carefully, tells us that this woman lived a sinful life, which church tradition understands as having been prostitution and all of the shame that goes with that. It's important for us to understand the level of scandal in this moment and the contrast between one of God's holy Pharisees, you know, one of the important people, and this local symbol of shame whose bar shame is disrupted. Of course, she's not invited to eat at the dinner, but it seems that's not what she's come for anyway. Verse 38 tells us that she stood behind him. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping. Remember, they're not sitting on chairs, sort of reclining at a table, like, sort of like that. And so this woman doesn't approach the food or the conversation end of the meeting. She hasn't come to eat with him or to interrogate Jesus. She's just come to be near him. She's not even come to him to see him as an equal or to judge him, to assess whether or not what he has to say is worthy, see if he's legit. The place she's taken is away from the conversation. She's stood at the back of the room where, if there are any servants, that's where they're stood as well. We're not told that she says anything. It seems that she just begins crying on Jesus. She hasn't come to test the teacher. She's come to be near to the one they say is a miracle worker. God's anointed one. The one who brings the good news to those who need it. And when she gets there, when she sees him, when she experiences being close to Jesus, she is so moved by being close to him, and something is going on inside her as she's in that close proximity, it just moves her to a leap. I want to ask, um, is that an experience you've had? Have you ever had a moment where you just know that Jesus is near, and something deep within yourself stirs, you're moved? But the only appropriate response seems to be loving surrender. Yeah, Lord, wow. But uh, take all of this. Yeah. Where pouring ourselves out in response to one who's pouring his love into us is just the right thing to do. I want to 
lovingly put it to you that if you have, but it's been a while, you can ask him for that again. And in fact, he'd love to ask him for that for you. It's the sort of thing that he loves to give us, experiencing his presence. And if you haven't ever had that experience, friend, ask Jesus for it. That real meeting with a real woman who really loves you is exactly the sort of thing he wants to give us. So, back in the passage, this woman, this sinful woman, is pouring out her tears onto Jesus. But she's also brought with her this jar of really expensive perfume. Now, when the story is told by the other gospel writers, um, Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12, if you'd like that, let's go and check it out. When the other gospel writers tell their story, they make a point of telling us that this jar costs more than a year's wages. It's a hugely expensive thing to have lying in your house. Jess and I were talking about this a week or so ago. Who has something in your house that is more than a year's salary that you can sort of grab and walk out with? Like, this is, this is huge, right? And she's brought it along. What was she thinking? What was she doing with breaking it? Did she plan to give it to Jesus? He's a very expensive present. Did she intend to turn up and pour it on him the way that she did? Was there a specific plan at all? Or was it just kind of a nudge from God as she was getting ready and going out the door? Take that. Or maybe it was just a Jesus is in town and she just grabbed the most valuable thing she could to go and take it to him. Whatever it was, this woman had an astonishing level of faith. Whether it was planned or whether it was a gut thing, Jesus came close and she just had to get close to him and to give him everything. And it, it wasn't even a trade to like, I sometimes pray. You know, the sort of thing where I'm like, oh, I'll give you this thing, right? And then maybe you could do that for me, huh? You know, I'm giving you this time, Lord. I know you're welcome. But perhaps you could solve this problem I have. You know, that sort of prayer. She wasn't bargaining for God's sake, for his blessing. She wasn't even bargaining for his forgiveness. It was just the right thing to do in her heart. She knew it. The right thing to do is taking the most valuable thing she could lay her hands off and say, this is yours. And when she got there, whether she intended to say something to him or not, she doesn't. She just weeps.
So she's got her hand covered. She's mopping the feet of Jesus. But people didn't get in the car to travel between villages. So people walked everywhere. The streets were muddy. The streets were muddy with the animals that have been walking the streets. So what is she wiping off Jesus' feet with her hair? Just think that the shame of having her hair exposed is one thing. Just imagine what her hair was full of as she was wiping Jesus' feet with these. This is humiliation. Self-imposed, you know, she's, she's seeing Jesus and she's responding to him, but she is debasing herself in the eyes of anyone around her. In one picture, she's humiliating herself, confirming her unclean, sinful status to people around her. But she's seen Jesus. She knows that the right thing to do is to just worship So she is pouring out any dignity she has left. And serving and worshipping her God with the glory. First Corinthians talks about the glory of a woman is her hair. The glory God has given her, what that she had, she was using it to worship Jesus. Not to mention then pouring out this incredibly expensive perfume onto him as well. What a waste it seemed to those who didn't get it. Why do I call the look at this passage faith? This woman isn't trusting God for a miracle or believing for God's faithfulness in a situation. She isn't trying to get something from God that she's choosing to believe he'll do for her. She has just seen who Jesus is and is responding to him. I think that is the heart of it. Seeing who Jesus is and responding to him. And while it turns out that God is in fact really kind, and I've known people asking for full miraculous provision for things, and he's come through. And full miraculous healing, I've seen him do it. I've known people have faith in God for something, and for him to come through for them and be proved faithful. That stuff is great, and it's real. But it's not the heart of faith. That is part of faith, if you like. I think the heart of faith is knowing who the person is. I trust that Lucy will do a great job of compassion past her work because I know her and I trust her. And turn out she does. And I trust that my friends have my back because of a relationship, not because of a contract or agreement with signed. It's, it's a relationship that I trust her to The faith that God wants me to have in him is not the faith that he will do what I want him to or need him to. Reliable and good as he is, that's not what he's asking of me. It's the faith of relationship, not transaction. So, on those terms, on that definition that I propose, I believe that this woman showed great faith in this act. And so does Jesus in person. But we'll get to that later. Okay, so my friend this morning, my challenge and my invitation to us is this. How's your faith? What is your faith like? In a church like ours, we are pretty good at asking God to do good things amongst us all the time. We ask him for prophetic words to encourage one another. Like the Ezekiel passage earlier on. That was someone hearing from God and sharing that because they thought that was for someone. And I believe it was. We're pretty good at asking God for that sort of thing in this church. We're pretty good at asking for supernatural healings to bless each other and demonstrate his power and love. Although I want to pretty good at asking. And I think these are good things. It's right. Good and right to ask for these things. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but how 
we just get to know him. Where we just want to be close to him. We hear that he's in the sound and we just run to meet him and grab the most valuable thing we can away. How is our responding to him coming close by giving everything that we have? How is our remaining in him to take the word that we close to him? If that needs some work at the moment, then I have a loving suggestion for your afternoon. Why not just put a little bit of time to just sit with him? Honestly, the world got final line by my other thirty minutes. The Pharisee in our passage this morning, of course, is showing us a great what not to do example. In verse 39, thank you so much, that when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. This guy's attitude is testing Jesus. Oh, if he were a prophet, what's this guy like? What does Jesus guy teach? How does he behave? He's judging him, he's setting himself above him. I'm the Pharisee, who is this weird teacher? But there's so much irony in this question. Firstly, and most importantly, the Pharisee just perfectly set up this contrast of faith that I've been talking about. The woman's response to Jesus. Her recognition of who he is, is faith, even the heart of faith. But the God-following Pharisees completely miss not just who he's in the same room with, but he's at the talking end of the table. He's getting the conversation back and forth and has missed who's in front of him. Her response is dope. And he says to himself, um, if this man were a prophet, Jesus knows comical irony. He knows exactly what this guy is thinking because in verse 40, the story that Jesus tells, Jesus answered him, I have something to tell you. Jesus answers something that happened in verse 39 in this guy's head. So, no, 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 I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is, but one, no, I don't know. No spoilers for the story, please. So Jesus answers this guy's internal thoughts about if you were a prophet. Ho, ho. And then skipping up to verse 47, because I like to keep her on my toes. Jesus knows about this woman's many sins. Therefore, I tell you her, thank you, many sins. Jesus knows. No one's told him in the meantime. So, if he's not a prophet, yeah, he is, actually. But he's not working to the framework that you set up for him, Pharisee. So, there are the three of them are. You have Jesus, who gets the Pharisee. He understands who he's talking to. And Jesus gets this woman. He knows who she is. And he knows about this sin. But he also knows that her heart is broken in God's presence. And that she'll receive God's presence and that she'll receive God's peace. The only one of the three who doesn't get each other is the Pharisee. The should have known better. Instead, this guy is acting as a judge over Jesus, weighing up whether the rooms of his prophetic gifting are real. Maybe even withholding some basic hospitality. If you see in verse 44, Basic hospitality in a hot, dry place where people walk everywhere is like offering water for his feet. It is, carrying on, the kiss of greeting that was normal in that culture. Thank you. Even some toilet drinks here, oil, just to freshen up after a long day in the hot sun. So if this Pharisee was withholding these things, maybe he was trying to keep a cool distance, you know, to protect his reputation. Oh yeah, that Jesus of Nazareth guy. Yeah, I had him over for dinner. Let me try some questions, you know. I didn't, I didn't do, I didn't give that. You could ask anyone who was there. 
just checking it out. But the faith that saved her of this woman, and the contrast of this sort of standoffish non-hospitality of the Pharisee, is pretty damning for him. He comes off that story pretty bad. Does Jesus then pass him up and go, I love you, you missed it then? No. Because the story he tells in verse 40 is Jesus giving Simon another chance. He doesn't abandon this Pharisee to life without God. He doesn't say the stuff you Jesus gives him this challenging lesson to give Simon a chance to change course, to come and meet God and to receive him again, to find his own faith in Jesus. Just finish the scene, right? This woman's pouring out herself into the back end of Jesus' feet whilst this conversation is going on. Simon's clearly rejecting it, judging it. This is all going about me. Jesus is sat in a minute, and he's thinking, I wonder how many different lessons Jesus could have given to Simon the Pharisee now. I wonder how many different approaches, how many different get it right, spot what's going on here type lessons. The one that he gave in verse 41 onwards was of two people owing some money. Neither can pay it back. And the money lender forgives both of them clear the debts. We'll just skip over that. That's huge. Already there's a story about ridiculous forgiveness, but God's really good. Come back to that another day. So, ridiculous forgiveness. One is 50 denarii, and one is 500, 10 times as much. Now, Jesus tells a very similar story to a different crowd at another time in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. And in that story, to that crowd, he's saying to that crowd, hey, don't be hypocrites. If you've been forgiven a lot, don't go out and beat someone up for a fire. So, maybe Jesus could tell the same story here, right? Come on, Simon, don't be a hypocrite. It's a good message. But instead, as Jesus is setting the scene of the story in verse 42, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love the money lender more? Wait, what? Which of them will love him more? Jesus' lesson to Simon was that he chose to make forgiveness to love. Not when God forgives people, they're righteous, so that's true. Not when God forgives people, they're holy, also true. But Jesus is teaching Simon the Pharisee that what matters to God is forgiveness that leads to love. He compares how Simon, the Pharisee, expected to be right with God, hasn't shown Jesus any love. He's not even shown Jesus the courtesy of normal hospitality. But this woman is shown great. And when Jesus lands his story to Simon in verse 47, it's a direct challenge. He says, <laughs> Thank you, Al. Uh, next one, if that's right. He says, Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. That's his landing challenge to Simon, the Pharisee. Whoever's been forgiven little loves little. So what is he saying? Why, why doesn't this Pharisee love? Is it because he's only been forgiven very little, because he's so holy that he's never needed God to forgive him? No. Not least because of how he treated Jesus. That's, that's not it. It's not that he's better. It's just not right. This Pharisee's lack of having received forgiveness in his own life, if we're going to follow Jesus' diagnosis, 
I think that's more likely due to the fact that Simon hasn't asked for forgiveness. He doesn't think he needs it. Which is very different to Bobby. If he thought himself so right and so holy, you know, I don't want those Pharisees to go to where I look. If he didn't, didn't think he needed that forgiveness, then maybe he hasn't asked for it. And worse, he hasn't received God's forgiveness. I mean, he's in real danger. He's not in a relationship with God. He's not in hope of what God's going to do in a relationship with him now and invite him to a future life with uh, the new heavens and the new earth. He's outside of God's people, even as someone who looks like he's representing And therefore, I'm sure as the kids used to say, that he checked thyself before I recognized thyself. Maybe he didn't spot that he was sinful because it didn't look like her over there, you know, with a mug in there. And there's, there's great um, other parables Jesus teaches to point the same, don't judge by the book by its cover, look at the heart of relationship with God. Luke chapter 18, the two people who go to the temple, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, I mean, the Bible is full of this, like, it doesn't matter what clothes you wear, look at the heart of your relationship. This Pharisee, though, he didn't say. He thought he was fine and didn't need God's forgiveness. Whereas this woman, she knew she needed saving. That her rights to herself were worthless. They weren't gifts to offer God as if he be pleased. Her rights to herself were something begging to take from her. Lord, I am not worthy. Take all of me. All I am is yours. Do it what you can. So, as we're wrapping up, I think the challenge for us in this passage is to ask whether we find ourselves more likely to drift into the position of Simon the Pharisee. Thinking that we Christians, we're God's holy people, we don't need to get things right with God or to stay right with God. We have little need for forgiveness, right? And if that danger is well, if we're in that danger, then we're in danger of not showing the love that God planned us to, to the people around us. And even worse, we're in danger of not receiving God's love and forgiveness at all, and recognizing Him if He shows it in front of us. The challenge of this woman's whole being repentance may sign the embarrassment deeply uncomfortable. And I think it should make us uncomfortable too. Not because she's wrong, or it's awkward, but because she's got hold of something right that I think, I think sometimes we lost to our great cross. There's a lot more I want to say about forgiveness, um, which I won't say today. Actually, Toby said a lot of it better in a two-part talk in November 2010, which I listened to on our website, kingdomindia.com. And I encourage you there if you want to hear more about forgiveness. They're good. 13 years later, still bad. So lastly, a closing observation that really is being found at Jesus' feet. I said that the other gospel writers mentioned this passage as well, um, and they, they tell the story of what I'm each with a different perspective, but the same story. Um, in John's Gospel, chapter 12, John records what is either a very similar event that's either a different perspective on the same moment, or Jesus had two very similar expensive perfume and hair. And in John's Gospel, 
John names this simple woman as Mary. This is her mother. That's the same Mary that Luke tells us sat at Jesus' feet at a dinner party where Mary and Martha were meant to be hosting. And Martha, her sister, was bustling around serving the meal. meal. Martha wanted Jesus to tell Mary off. Come on, Jesus, look at that. She's co-hosting with right? Shouldn't she be working, doing stuff, rather than just start spending time listening to you? Instead of telling her off, Jesus turns to Martha and says, Martha, Martha. Mary's chosen what's best, and it won't be taken away from her. If this sinful woman in Luke chapter 7 is that same Mary, if she is, then she's taught us two powerful lessons by placing herself at Jesus' feet. That to sit with him is more important than to serve him. And that pouring ourselves out to him, even in humiliation, is a good sign of a faith that Jesus' eyes restores us to our relationship with him. So, I want to be found at Jesus' feet. Why don't you stand as you're ready to Jesus, would you help us please to see you like the woman who grabbed that expensive jar and ran to meet you? Help us to see in you what she did. And if or when, for any reason, we found ourselves drifting into kind of an unthinking complacency in our relationship. Lord, just come and show us. Show us lovingly that you want to know the problem. And if there's still ones who don't yet have that relationship with Jesus, Lord, could you show them how much you love them? Show us how much you love us, I should say. And I'd like to put a blessing your loving work in our hearts to meet us, to 
show us your real and really yeah, love us. And so invite us into a real and powerful relationship with you. But that's for the first time we're going to fight.